fairy tale of the lion and the unicorn. Part 2 The unicorn opened its eyes and found that it was in a great chamber. The floor gleamed a bright sheen under the light that entered through the cracks in the ceiling, and the unicorn could see what looked like a towering throne up ahead. It could see the shadowy outline of a figure sitting upon it. Unsure what else to do, the unicorn moved slowly over to the throne and up the steps that lay in front of it. The shadowy figure remained seated, unmoving, and the unicorn could still not make out a face or any features of any kind. The figure is called Feldspar, and they are the unseen ruler of the caves. They stepped down from their throne, coming to a halt in front of the unicorn. Hold out your hoof, unicorn. The unicorn bowed its head unquestioningly, and held out its hoof. Take this. Feldspar placed a small, egg-like stone in the unicorn's hoof that was grey in colour and speckled. The unicorn raised its head again. The unicorn was no longer stood in front of Feldspar and Feldspar's throne, but was in the corner of the room next to them. Across the room stood the lion, and next to the lion, the unicorn saw itself. What do you see, unicorn? I see myself, the unicorn cried, though its voice hung without an echo in the large room. I look scared. Really scared. Why would you be scared? asked Feldspar. This is the safest, most impenetrable place in the whole of Multivos. You have nothing to fear, so why would you be scared? Sometimes I wonder whether I am what people say I am. The unicorn hung its head and its horn low in shame. That I'm not really real. That there really is no such thing as a unicorn. That I've been brainwashed, that my eyes have been led to deceive me. Who would brainwash or deceive you to believe such a thing? Feldspar exclaimed, astonished and indignant, but not without kindness. I don't know. It seems so silly when you say it out loud. But for as long as I can remember, I've been given funny looks, treated unkindly without cause, and excluded without really knowing why, other than what people say, mostly when they think I can't hear them. The unicorn spoke with tears rolling down its soft white face. They say, when will they stop kidding themselves they're something that they're not? Who do they think they are? It's just a phase, they'll grow out of it. How do I explain this to grandpa and grandma? How are they going to get a job or a real life of any value? When are they going to grow up and stop believing in fairy tales? I must have made you feel awful, Feldspar said, placing a soothing hand on the unicorn's side. It did, the unicorn nodded limply. First it hurts, then eventually you become numb and don't know how to, don't want to feel anything. But life wasn't all bad up there, outside these caves, though I did used to come down here a lot. I know, Feldspar interjected knowingly with a smile. And I had a little community up there too. We were all the creatures the people of Multivos said were stuck in a dream world. That we were mythical. So we called ourselves the Magical Mythical Gang. Or the MGs for short. The unicorn spoke with a rediscovered enthusiasm and pizzazz. Who were they? Tell me about them. Asked Feldspar. Well, there was the dragon, the mermaid, the centaur twins, the griffin, the werewolf. Sometimes when we go down to the beach we'd see my cousin, the hippocampus. What would you all get up to? Asked Feldspar, intrigued. Well, when we first met, we were all teenagers. So, you know, we did what teenagers do. Lurked around in shadowy places out of sight from the rest of the island. We told each other stories. We skimmed stones on the beach. That's how we first met Hippocampus, actually. The mermaid hit him with a stone by mistake. You should have seen Hippocampus's face. The unicorn laughed uncontrollably and composed itself to carry on the story. I think they were ready to pounce on us. They looked so fierce, big pointy claws spread, making themselves as big as possible and bearing huge saber teeth. But then the hippocampus realized that they were just like us, outcasts, misunderstood, not appreciated for 
who we really are. We sat on the beach for hours with them and they told us the story of life under the sea. This brought the mermaid out of their shell too. None of us knew before that day that they too had come out of the sea one day. They had been rejected by their shoal and told to go stay with their land cousins seeing as they seemed to look so much like them. That was the day I feel we truly became a family. We would meet up most nights on the beach after that, make a fire and sit around talking, laughing, joking, making up stories about things we would do when we would leave home. And then, when we were old enough to leave home, we came to see each other less often. We had responsibilities now. Some of us had jobs, some of us worked in the family business, some of us moved a little further away, some of us went out less and less. So every other day or so turned to once a week on the beach. Then once a fortnight, or once a month. Then, I, I don't remember the last time we all got together. The magical mythical gang is becoming more and more of a myth each day. And the islanders are winning. They're convincing us, whether they mean to or not, that we're, we're all on our own. That we're just a freak of nature. That we don't really exist. Isn't that what the lion said to you when you turned up to fight each other? Feldspar asked. How did you know that? The unicorn was wide-eyed with awe and amazement. Were you there? In a way I was, yes. I go where I'm most needed. And you called me whether you knew it or not. Feldspar took a long pause and looked across the room to where the unicorn's physical body stood. And so did the lion too. The lion called you too? But what could the lion need from you? The lion is so fierce, so strong, so sure of itself. That's the impression it might want to give you, Feldspar replied. But if you look inside, as I am called on to do, to connect with the spirits inside all creatures, if you look inside, you'll see a different story. Would you like to see? The unicorn nodded, but then checked itself. Shouldn't we ask the lion's permission before we do that? Yes, agreed Feldspar. Let's see what the lion has to say. They watched across the room, where the scene of the unicorn standing peacefully next to the lion remained unchanged. The unicorn turned back towards Feldspar and jumped in shock. The lion was now standing there too beside them. What do you see, lion? asked Feldspar. I see myself and the unicorn, of course replied the lion irritably. Yes, you're right. You do. And I look so old, said the lion, a frustrated tone in its voice that could not hide the sadness within. Do you feel old? asked Feldspar. No, I, I don't think so, the lion said uncertainly. I mean, before I came to fight the unicorn, I felt as young as anything. I felt there was nothing I couldn't do, that anything I set my mind to, anything I was asked to do, I would do it without question. Now, Yes, I do feel old. I've had to try especially hard to keep up with the unicorn, and I see myself as less and less full of life. Perhaps it is time to, for me to go off into the forest and not come back. What's changed between then and now? Feldspar wondered, coming to place a reassuring hand on the lion's shoulder. You felt so sure of yourself, and now you wonder whether you are yourself at all, whether you are here at all anymore. The lion stared at the figure of itself at the other end of the chamber. It looked very frail and covered in silver and grey hairs. I guess I saw what other people saw me as. As this tough warrior type who was scared of no one. Who would defend the honour of its people. Strike out anyone who threatened them. Then doubts started to creep into my mind. Is this unicorn? This horse with an ice cream cone on its head? Really a creature I should be fighting? What have they done to deserve this? Then I find that the fight and all it represented was a lie. And I felt that I had been living a lie too. What world would need an old fighter lion like me who was starting to wonder if he didn't need to fight anymore? Suddenly, not this world. Not the world up there that is waiting for us. So I ask you again, lion. 
Feldspar said softly. What has changed? Have you changed? The lion considered for a moment. In some ways, I suppose. But then no, I am still the same lion I was before I was called to do my duty and fight for the crown. Then what has changed? Feldspar persisted. The people and the land I was fighting for has changed, the lion replied. They are not what I thought they were. My view of them has changed, and so my view of everything has changed. Even myself, I, I don't think I even know who I am anymore. Your view has changed, yes, Feldspar agreed. But Lion, you yourself have not changed. You are still the same fierce, loyal, principled, protective, brave Lion you always were. You're simply starting to question who deserves you. Really? You don't think I've changed? The Lion asked. Well, maybe in one way. Feldspar replied with a hint of mischief. You do believe in unicorns now? Yes, I suppose I do, said the lion, smiling across at its friend. Its face then fell a little, its uncertainty returning. So what do I do now? The lion questioned the ruler of the caves. Perhaps there is still a fight to be had, Feldspar replied. The greatest fight that you have ever fought, and one that will have bigger celebrations than ever before should you win. And with that, Feldspar began the walk back to their throne their mighty cape flapping behind them. The lion and the unicorn looked over at the images of themselves and saw that they were now bundled together in a heap on the floor of the caves. The lights went dark, and when they opened their eyes, they were back in the caves. Both of them sat up awkwardly, feeling aches and pains over their bodies and a rushing in their heads. What happened? asked the unicorn, stumbling to its hooves. I, I think you tripped on a stray root or rock, the lion answered smoothing and licking its fur before clambering back onto its paws. We must have bumped into each other as we fell. Do you feel okay to keep going? The unicorn asked. Yes, I feel okay to keep going, the lion answered. Actually, despite the bruises and pains here and there, I feel better than ever. Great, said the unicorn. Well, let's start off slowly. It's not a great deal further to the exit to the caves that takes us to the sea. The lion and the unicorn set off again, at a gentle pace this time. They soon came to a place where the path dipped, and a small reservoir of water came into view. Let's stop and drink for a moment, the unicorn said, and the lion agreed. They padded down to the sandy water's edge and lapped the cool liquid with their dry tongues. Little ringlets formed on the water's surface, and then, very quickly, these began to swirl into bigger and bigger patterns. A creature of some kind began to emerge from the water, and the lion and the unicorn drew back in fright. The creature drew nearer and nearer, gliding across the water effortlessly, and the lion and the unicorn scrabbled desperately up the sandy incline found themselves slipping with every effort. It seemed impossibly steep, and the pathway so far away. The creature was drawing nearer and nearer. It seemed they would never make it back to the pathway alive. Friends, do not be so frightened, came a loud, booming voice. It seemed not to come from the creature, who now that it emerged dripping from the water onto the sand, was very small indeed. I simply came to welcome you to my home. Who are you? asked the unicorn panting on its back. I am the Desert Rose, and I am at your service. The lion and the unicorn looked down at the tiny creature, which looked somewhere between a crab and a mole, covered in a scaly shell with webbed feet and a small, smiling face from which seemed to come this enormous, echoing voice. Why are you called the Desert Rose? asked the lion, looking around at the damp expanse of the caves. The only thing like a desert here seems to be this sand we're sitting on. Ah, you see, now that's a very good question, my lion friend, replied the Desert Rose enthusiastically. You see, this place didn't always have such a vast expanse of water. The lion and the unicorn looked again at the pool they had been drinking from, and found it was now a huge body of water, 
with tributaries that snaked off into the distant reaches of the caves. And it is when things go from being dry to being full of water that I am called upon. For that is when life is returning, my friends. Or at least, that is when a big change is coming. So then, the unicorn spoke nervously, feeling that it was beginning to understand what was happening here. Is there something you've come to tell us about? Very good, unicorn. The desert rose hopped approvingly. I can tell you're a sharp one. But before we continue, may I? The desert rose nodded at the unicorn's horn, and the unicorn bashfully approved, bowing its head to the sandy floor. The desert rose stepped forward and laid a damp paw on the horn, which dimmed to a softer glow to protect the desert rose's eyes. It was smooth to the touch, and felt like nothing the desert rose had ever come across. It was said to bring good luck to touch a unicorn's horn, but the desert rose did not wish for luck or fortune. It was simply curious. Thank you, unicorn. Desert Rose said. Now, please, dim your globe completely. We don't want to tie you out. We have a long journey ahead of you. The unicorn agreed trustingly, and the cave descended into darkness. But how will we see? began the lion, but stopped itself as the cave was returned to brightness, becoming completely bathed in a warm, soft light. Now, continued the Desert Rose. I understand that you two are headed to the sea, is that right? I forgot to bring my notes. Yes, that's right, said the unicorn. Okay, well, you'll be heading there still, but not for the same reason you set out in the first place, said the desert rose. Oh, and why is that? asked the lion cautiously. We were heading there to leave the island. It is not safe for us anymore. That's why the unicorn has led us into these caves, to find safe passage to the sea. And I would love you to go to the sea, lion, the desert rose replied with a smile. I'm sure you'd have a lovely time, but what then? What can the sea bring you that the land cannot? It is not safe for us, as I said, the lion continued through gritted teeth. The unicorn is going to travel across the sea to somewhere that will be better for them. And you, lion? The desert rose persisted. What will you do? The lion fell silent and did not answer. So, desert rose, the unicorn said. You come to places that have been dry and then become wet and new life can grow, new possibilities for what can be. Yes, that is right, Unicorn, replied the Desert Rose. And I am here to tell you that you need to ask yourselves what new life is waiting to grow in me. Am I happy in the desert? Or do I want something more? The Desert Rose looked them both up and down before turning and heading back the way it had come. The reservoir had completely disappeared and now there was only a thick layer of sand. The unicorn cried after it, struggling to raise its voice over the aggressive wind that was now gushing through the caves, throwing sand in their faces and ruffling their manes wildly. Thank you, Desert Rose. Is there anything we can do for you? The Desert Rose stopped and turned back to face them, its voice booming as loud as ever throughout the caves. I need nothing in return, unicorn, but thank you. All I love is to bring new life and possibilities to places. So, if you ever see somewhere that is looking a little undercared for, and could do with some fresh energy, a spruce, you let me know. And with that, the desert rose scurried beneath the surface of the sand and was gone. The small reservoir hove back into view, the bright light vanished, and they were in darkness once again. The unicorn charged its horn with light once more and looked across at the lion. The lion had a look of irritated bemusement on its face. What was that all about then? The lion asked. I think I know what it means for me. The unicorn replied with a smile. Come on, let's get going. It's still a fair way yet till we reach the sea. But I thought we weren't going to the sea anymore. The lion groaned as it clambered up from the sand back onto the pathway. The desert rose said we're not going there for the same reason that we were originally, corrected the unicorn. And I know that we must still go there. Why? asked the lion. Because there are some friends of mine that I have to meet. It's been a long time. At last, the lion and the unicorn reached the end of the caves. There was no stone at this end, but a narrow passage to clamber through, 
covered over by shrubs and undergrowth. Do you think we can fit through there? The lion asked hesitantly. It looks very narrow. Of course we can, you old beast, the unicorn said with a wink. If me and my giant ice cream cone head can fit through, you and all your muscles certainly can too. The lion laughed mirthlessly and followed the unicorn through the narrow gap. It took some effort, sprawled on their fronts and digging in deep into any holds on the way up, but eventually they reached the top and stood once again on the forest floor. They could smell the sea and hear the calling of birds. They were very close indeed. Right, from here we can keep to the cover of the trees and arrive at the rocky outcrop where the beach starts, the lion said, returning its voice to a whisper. Then we creep our way up the beach and we'll be at the docks. Yes, I mean, I knew all that, the unicorn said. But that's great, you, you'd lead the way, lion. The lion and the unicorn scurried along the edges of the trees, keeping low to the ground, and followed the tree line towards the rocks that jutted high over the beaches below. It would be quite a scrabble to make their way down, with parts of the rocky cliffs being very steep, taking things slowly and giving each other a helping paw or hoof where they needed it. They soon made their way to the foot of the cliff and huddled together again in the shadow of a large rock. The unicorn explained its new plan to the lion. The lion listened carefully and after a great deal of thought, agreed that that's what they would do. So what now? asked the unicorn, catching its breath. I think it's best to wait until nightfall, suggested the lion. That way we can be sure we won't be seen by anyone. The unicorn nodded its head in agreement and turned to look out to sea. The last time the unicorn had been here was the last time they'd seen any of the magical mystery gang. The unicorn started to wonder what they might be up to at this very moment, seeing them clearly in their mind's eye. Are you any good at catching fish, lion? The unicorn asked. No, I'm not, the lion said with a laugh. Are you, unicorn? I thought I'd caught a fish once with my horn. That was just a big piece of seaweed. That sounds like a good look for you, said the lion jokingly. The unicorn chuckled and looked out again to see. This time, its eyes remained fixed where they stared. Soon, the lion noticed the unicorn's intense fixation on the sea and turned its eyes there too. There, stepping out of the water onto the beach, was a creature the lion struggled to piece together in its head. It looks like a cross between a frog, a salamander, a horse, and a narwhal. A unicorn of the sea, even. What is that creature? Do my eyes deceive me? Asked the lion breathlessly. That's the hippocampus! That's my, f that's my cousin, the hippocampus! The unicorn beamed joyously. The unicorn went to rush out and meet it, but the lion barred the way. We don't know if it's safe, the lion said in an urgent whisper. I know we have to be careful, lion, said the unicorn reassuringly. But please believe me, the hippocampus only comes out when it knows it's safe. The lion stared back at the unicorn uncertainly. Come on, I'll let you wrong so far, the unicorn asked. Okay, let's go and meet your friend, the lion said. The lion and the unicorn stepped out from the shadow of the rocks and padded across the beach towards the sea's edge. The hippocampus sniffed and raised its multicoloured head. Its cautious scowl turned into a broad smile. Hello, old friend, it said to the unicorn. Hello, my dear cousin, replied the unicorn. They embraced, the unicorn not caring that its white fur was dripping with seawater. It was comforted by the smell and was so happy to see the hippocampus after so long. What are you doing here on Multivos? The unicorn asked. We had a feeling that one of the magical mystery gang might be here on the beach, the hippocampus answered. Have you seen any of the others? Who's this? The lion stepped forward and bowed its head. I am the lion. It is an honor to meet you, hippocampus. The hippocampus curtsied, fanning its webbed limbs. It's a pleasure to meet you, lion. We trekked a long way through the caves to be here, the unicorn said. We were coming here originally because we were going to leave the island. Or at least, I was. But we have a different plan now. Oh, and what's that? The hippocampus asked with interest. The island has been taken over by the king of Voxitus and the queen of Voxnova. 
and the people are no longer free, the lion explained. The unicorn and I are going to fight them and take the island back so that all can be free to be themselves here on Multivos. I understand, the hippocampus said, looking deep in thought. What is the plan then? Well, the unicorn added, we were going to come here anyway, but then I remembered that this is where we all used to meet, all the MGs. I thought if anyone would understand what we were trying to do and why, it would be all of you. The hippocampus listened, then looked back at the lion. But what about the lion? The hippocampus asked. What does the lion know about the lives we've led? Of being mocked, treated with suspicion, blocked at every turn, left with no alternative but to live a life outside of the mainstream, away from everybody else. The only lions I've ever met have been proud, arrogant even, fierce and often unkind, unaware of what life is like for others, only interested in themselves and others like them. These words stung, but the lion remained calm. That was my understanding of lions too, Hippocampus, the unicorn said. But this lion, my friend, is kind. This lion listens and is full of honour. This lion wants to help others. This lion is able to grow and change and is ready to use its pride and fierceness to fight against anyone who doesn't want equality and freedom. That's the lion I know. The hippocampus listened, then looked at the lion, then looked back at the unicorn, then looked out to sea. I wish we had lions like that where I come from, the hippocampus said with a smile and a sigh. There's so much blind hatred in the world. If you look outside what is meant to be normal, you're wrong, you're bad, you're evil. That's how you treat it anyway. The treatment is what's wrong, bad, evil. If you say you are fighting that, then I'm fighting with you. The unicorn jumped for joy, flicking its horn and rainbow mane in delight. The lion was glad, but looked back towards the island with a frown. So we are now three, but how will we fight an island that is now united for the first time in a very long time? The lion asked. It is an island united, brought together, but the people are not united, the unicorn corrected. And yes, we are three, but being together makes us more powerful than just numbers you can count. What do you mean? The lion wondered in confusion. You'll see, said the unicorn with a grin. The unicorn then closed its eyes, facing out towards sea, crouching down on its back legs. The lion understood what it was doing, and did the same. The hippocampus could not understand this strange behaviour, but took it as a form of speaking to a higher power, and did the same too. A few moments later, they heard footsteps behind them, and a loud crying of voices. The lion, the unicorn, and the hippocampus all turned to see the sight of about half a dozen figures walking down the beach towards them. There they were, united again, the magical mystery gang. The dragon, the centaur twins, the griffin, and the werewolf moved in a close group up to the sea's edge, all smiling broadly. Then another figure emerged from the spray of the tide. It was the mermaid. The unicorn and the hippocampus rushed over to greet them, and they all embraced. The unicorn introduced the lion, and the lion bowed humbly to them all. The lion addressed them. It's so good to meet all of you. The unicorn has told me much about you. But how did you all know to come here? All at the same time? I can't say for sure, the werewolf replied. We you just had a feeling, I guess, the centaur twin suggested. The lion nodded. This was starting to become a theme of its adventure with the unicorn. Then it spied something shiny on the sand. Two small, dazzling scarlet stones glinted in the sun. The lion smiled. So everyone, the hippocampus said. The unicorn has a plan. Tell him what we're going to do, unicorn. The unicorn filled them in, explaining all about how the lion and the unicorn first met, their long journey through the caves to arrive here, and what happened on the island of Multivos. They were all outraged at the actions of the king and the queen, and heartened to hear of the friendship that had sprung from such an unexpected introduction between the lion and the unicorn. We're in, said the dragon. 
Whatever you need, we're here for you. It's about time somebody did something to show that this island is for everybody, whoever you are. The Magical Mystery Gang and its newest member all cheered in agreement. So we are just going to take on the whole island? The mermaid asked, both nervous and excited. Yep, that's the plan, said the unicorn beaming. How'd you know we'll win? Asked the centaur twins in unison. The lion and the unicorn looked at each other and responded in unison. We, we just, just have, have a feeling, feeling we, we will. will. They figured out a path from their shared knowledge that would bring them to the city of Duos without much risk of detection and were setting off to leave when the werewolf asked the mermaid what they were carrying. This, the mermaid said, this is a clear bag full of water. Why are you carrying a clear bag full of water, babes? The werewolf asked with amused confusion. Because I've learned a new trick, they replied. Want to see? Yes, absolutely, the werewolf said and signaled to the others to gather round. The mermaid closed their eyes, became deeply still and silent, and then flapped their tail, jumping into the air. When they landed, they had become a fish. Wow, that's amazing! What a trick! cried the lion. The mermaid flopped on the sand, acting as best it could in the circumstances to take a bow. Yes, it is amazing, said the mermaid. But could you please put me in that clear bag full of water? I can't breathe out the water much longer like this. The centaur twins obliged, one swiftly picking up and opening the bag, and the other quickly scooping up the mermaid and depositing them safely inside. They all crowded round the bag. When did you learn to do that? asked the griffin. Well, I was going back on source to rush into the land and the sea, to my distant side of the family, my water friends and my land friends, said the mermaid in a muffled voice from inside the bag. But it just sort of happened one day. I guess I got so used to being one way here and one way there that I evolved a way to better cope with that. I haven't managed to figure out how to do it whenever I want to, hence the bag. The magical mystery gang all exclaimed and ah, a realization together. Ah. But I'd like to figure out how to do it whenever I want, the mermaid continued, looking a little sad. I'm still me, you know, I don't want to have to change and pretend wherever I go. You'll get there, Mermy, said the hippocampus kindly, and I don't see it as pretending. You have different sides to you, and they come out depending on where you are, who you're with, and what you're doing. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever you're doing, whatever you look like, you're still you, all the same. The mermaid smiled and blew a kiss with its fin through the bag. Right, has anyone got any more tricks they'd like to share? Said the lion with a chuckle. We'd better get going. Following the route they all agreed on, they trekked under the cover of the growing darkness through the forest, along the banks of several rivers, and over the rocky outcrop that overlooked the city of Duos. The werewolf helped guide them as it got darker and darker. They stopped in the shadow of the rocky outcrop to rest. The werewolf had a spot that he came to often to get away from the city and had hidden supplies and blankets, hoping one day that he would have someone to share the spot with. They were all very grateful for his hospitality and they all went to sleep that night feeling well-fed, comfortable and happy, most of all, the werewolf. The sun rose early the next morning. The magical mystery gang stretched and yawned and followed their morning routines before gathering together and setting off for the city of Duos. They arrived at the city's edge just as the city was starting to wake up. Shop fronts were raised, engines were started, the many mouths of the people started chattering, and the day began to take its course. Much of this activity stopped, however, when they saw the colourful, proud-looking gangs striding their way into the city. Some of the people had never seen these creatures before. Others had, and ran off in search of someone to tell. The gang marched unchallenged, the people keeping to the shadows of side streets and shop windows, and they made their way to the central city building. Because the city had until recently, much like the rest of the island, been split in two, this has been very much a symbolic building. The walls of this building may have touched from one side of the city to the other, but there was really only empty space on the inside. When they reached the entrance on the east side, they noticed a small sign hung on the door. Please follow the signs for the temporary Grand Central Hall building, the sign read. 
They followed the signs and were followed themselves by a growing crowd of people. The signs led them round the building and into one of the ceremonial gardens where they were still tearing down the walls that had divided the city in two. There was a very small, modest looking wooden hut next to which stood a very ornate sign with bold golden neon letters. The sign read, Welcome to the Grand Central Hall of Voxitus Nova. Underneath the sign was a much smaller sign. The lion leaned in close to read it more clearly. Temporary construction pending finished actual building, read the smaller sign. They all looked at each other with confusion. Do you reckon anyone's in? asked the werewolf. Someone go and knock, cried the mermaid, still swimming about inside the clear bag. The hippocampus volunteered and stood in front of the small hut, wrapping its scaled hooves on the door. After a few moments, the door opened and a small man in uniform appeared. Yes? He asked without looking up. He then did and fell over onto the floor inside the Grand Central Hall. Oh, what do you want? He stammered from inside. We're at the Magical Mystery Gang and we'd like to speak with the King and the Queen, please. The hippocampus answered. What do you want with them? There's a very long waiting list, the man said, climbing shakily to his feet. The Magical Mystery Gang? Yes. Could you please tell them it's about the island of Multibus? The hippocampus continued. What about it? The man said, pouting. We're taking it over, said the hippocampus with a grin. What? You, you can't do that, cried the man, picking up his hat from the floor and stuffing it on his head. It's definitely not a form for that. Well, either way, if you could please let them know that that's what we come about, the hippocampus replied, and we'll just wait here until they can see us. What? All of you? The small man asked, aghast by everything he was seeing and hearing. Yes, I'm sure we can all squeeze in, said the hippocampus. Come on in, everyone. The magical mystery gang all piled in, and before he could make out what was going on, the small man found himself outside the Grand Central Hall, and the entire magical mystery gang crammed snugly inside. If you could go and let the king and queen know, babes, the werewolf said with a polite smile, you'll know where they can find us. The werewolf was holding the clear bag of water containing the mermaid, who shouted out, You can't miss it! There's loads of signs! The small man looked at the Grand Central Hall, stuffed full of queer creatures. He then felt for his hat, and realised it had fallen off again, and must be inside. He went to move towards the open door, but then thought better and turned on his heel to walk towards the palace. He could get his hat later. As he walked towards the palace, the crowd of people started to gather around him. What's going on over there? One voice cried. Who are those creatures and what do they want? Cried another. They're the magical mystery gang, and they've come to take over the island of Multivos, replied the man. He repeated it to himself several times under his breath to be sure he wasn't dreaming. They're the magical mystery gang, and they've come to take over the island of Multivos. He carried on towards the palace, left very much alone by the crowd, who scurried off towards the Grand Central Hall. They circled around the small wooden hut. There must have been thousands of them there. The unicorn stepped out to speak to them. Hello, people of Duos! People of Multivos! The unicorn began. What you want? Why are you here? A voice yelled from the crowd. We are here because we heard that the island was in great danger, the unicorn continued. And we all care very much about the people of this island. I myself am from here, so we couldn't stay away. Hey, it's Ice Queen Coned! shouted another voice from the crowd. It's the so-called unicorn! Jeers and boos started to echo around the crowd, and the unicorn, though nervous, stood its ground. Yes, I'm, I'm sure some of you know me, the unicorn continued. I've lived in Multivos and, and in Duos all my life, and I've been very saddened by how, despite the fact that I am just like all of you in, in that way, you all treat me so differently. It's because you are different, Ice Cream Conehead! Another voice bellowed, and more jeers and cries were sent through the crowd. Another booming voice came into earshot, but this time it was not from the crowd. The lion stepped forward to join the unicorn. Yes, they are different, you're right, the lion growled, bringing the crowd to a deathly silence. But that does not make them less than, or worse, or anything else. This is the unicorn you have always known, and I am proud to call them my friend. The crowd started to murmur and groan, and another voice cried out. You say that's a unicorn? Why don't you prove it? How's it any different from a horse or a donkey? 
The unicorn doesn't need to prove anything to you, said the lion. And anyone who says otherwise, they can fight me. The crowd became very silent. A small, tentative voice from near the front spoke up. But lion, I thought you were going to fight the unicorn. I thought you were going to save the day for Foxitus. The lion saw the small child who spoke and padded over to them. The crowd jumped back in fright, but the child stayed exactly where it was. Yes, my little friend, I was going to fight the unicorn, but I didn't in the end, the lion said. Why didn't you? The child asked curiously. Uh, because I used to think like some of the people here with us today. The lion spoke softly, but loud enough so that all could hear. I used to think that the unicorn was different, and that it was my job to fight them. That there was something wrong with them, and that I had to change their ways, or get out. But it was me who had to change my ways. The king wanted me to fight and win like I always had. But the fight he wanted me to win was to stop others from being allowed to exist. If I'd have won, Voxitus would have taken over all of Voxnova, and many would have had to leave to flee. Many would no longer exist there anymore. Multivox would no longer exist as we know it. So what did you do then, if you didn't fight? Asked the child. We tried to fight at the beginning, but I didn't do a very good job, said the lion, laughing. I was so angry at the unicorns, so sure they didn't exist, because I wasn't happy in myself. Because I was scared. I was stuck inside the story that I was outdated, that I wasn't needed anymore. And so I thought I could only be angry and fight others. We learned how to become friends. The unicorn showed me how to value myself. And I like to think I did the same for them. And now we have brought some of the unicorn's friends here. Because everyone on the island of Multivos needs to hear our story. To let everyone tell their own stories. Because the king and the queen won't let you do that. Is that so? Cried the voice of the king, swooping in on the back of a white horse, flanked by the queen riding on a black horse, and followed by an army of guards. The crowd bowed down low to the passing figures of the king and the queen as they hurried up to the Grand Central Hall. We hear you've come to take the island of Multivos, said the queen, jumping down from her horse and squaring up to the lion and the unicorn. You and whose queer army? This one, said the members of the Magical Mystery Gang, squeezing out from inside the tiny Grand Central Hall and flanking the lion and the unicorn. The queen took a cautious step backwards, but kept her hands on her hips in a combat stance, her eyes fixed and steely. What a strange bunch you are, said the king, stepping down from his white horse. The white horse jeered at the unicorn. What are you supposed to be? A horse in a Halloween costume? No, I'm a unicorn, replied the unicorn. A unicorn? <laughs> it sneered, blowing out its lips. Yes, a unicorn. Do you have a horn, horse? The horse avoided its gaze and looked down at the ground. No. So, you want to take Multivos, do you? Said the king, standing alongside the queen. We want to save the people from you. The rest of the Magical Mystery Gang shouted their approval. Ah, Lion! Nice to see you back, old chum, said the king, moving towards the lion. I heard they put you out to pasture. A shame, but sometimes you just don't have it in you anymore. Not like me. He patted the lion on the head and turned to move along to inspect the other creatures. The lion clawed at the king, sending him flying. He landed in a heap his crown tumbling down a hill towards one of the ceremonial garden's ponds. Guards, he hit me! Get him! The king screeched. Let someone get off of my crown before it falls in the pond! Guards raced off in different directions, some after the crown, some towards the magical mystery gang. Arriving in front of them, they saw the creatures begin to tower above them, impossibly so. The guards cowered in fright, unable to move any further. The king leapt to his feet and swept disdainfully past the motionless guards. You useless fools! The king spat. I'll just have to do it all myself then, shall I? The king went to draw his sword, but found himself rooted to the spot as the unicorn stepped towards him. 
It stretched out one of its hooves. The king looked at the unicorn's hoof and saw a small stone, grey in colour, with speckles all over it. What's that? The king asked dismissively. It won't be much match for my sword. Here, catch, the unicorn said, and flicked it up into the air. Instinctively, not wanting to be seen to lose a challenge, the king repositioned himself and deftly caught the small stone in his other hand. He looked around to take in the applause, but found there was no one there. In fact, he was no longer in the ceremonial gardens of the Grand Central Hall. He was in a large dark chamber with a throne at the far end. This must be a dream, he thought, and that throne must be for me. He began to stride towards it, but the closer he got, he saw there was already a figure sat upon the throne. The figure wore a long black and grey cloak, and its face was nowhere to be seen. Hello, King Oxytus, said Feldspar, and they walked down the steps of their throne to face the king. Allow me to show you something. They placed a hand upon the confused king's shoulder and ushered him towards a corner of the room. There the king saw what looked like a perfect image of himself. What do you see, king? asked Feldspar. Why, I see myself, I think, said the king uncertainly. And how do you look? asked Feldspar again. Why, I look as fantastic as usual, the king replied loudly. I must be seeing off that strange bunch of creatures who were bothering us today. You look fantastic, you see, Feldspar repeated slowly. Why, yes, of course, said the king, unsure why he had to repeat himself. Feldspar did not speak again, leaving them both in silence. Well, I, I guess I look a little tired, said the king, looking at his face and seeing a heavy weight on his brow and a faded light in his eyes. Why do you look tired, king? Feldspar asked. It's because of this dam coming together at the two sides of the island, the king answered, and his tongue began to move as if he no longer controlled it. It's proving so much harder than I thought, th than we thought. Trying to get everyone to do the same, be the same, so it's easier for everyone to just get on with their lives. But the more different people we got rid of, or sent to other places, or managed to convince to get in line with everyone else, the more different people we kept on finding. It's maddening. When will it end? How could everyone be so different? I thought there was just people, and the, all the weird ones who weren't like everybody else. Have you looked at all the people as if they were you? Asked Feldspar, curiously. What, what, what do you mean? The king said, not quite understanding. Well, who are you looking at now? Feldspar said to him. I, I'm looking at myself, of course, the king replied. Are you? Wondered Feldspar. The king looked at himself again, and found that he looked a little different. Very different, in fact. There was a sudden life and brightness to him. The heavy weight had disappeared from his brow, and there was a fresh light in his eyes. His crown was nowhere to be seen. Why, yes, it, it is me, answered the king, a little awestruck. But I look a little different somehow. Do you look at yourself in the mirror much? Feldspar asked the king. No, not very often, the king said sadly. I don't like being reminded of how other people see me as the king, their firm but distant ruler. Sometimes I wish they could see beyond that, see me for who I really am. And who is that? asked Feldspar kindly. Well said the king hesitantly. I don't think I know very well myself. I think it's time you got back to the ceremonial garden, said Felspar softly. Your people are waiting for you. But you know that you can come back here whenever you like, whenever you need to see yourself. Yes, okay, replied the king. Thank you. He turned to look at Feldspar, but they were gone. Now he was surrounded once more by the crowds, his guards, the queen at his side, and the members of the magical mystery gang in front of him. He looked down at the small, grey, speckled stone in his hand, then up at the unicorn. May I keep this? The king said to the unicorn. Of course, said the unicorn. It's yours. Thank you, said the king. What's going on? The queen said angrily. What are you doing fanning about with stones? Guards, seize them! Oh, no you don't, cried the mermaid from inside the bag. A werewolf? 
Open the bag, please. The werewolf obliged, and the mermaid immediately shot out, flying towards the queen. The queen saw the image of a fish flying towards her and screamed. She held up her hands in defense, closed her eyes, and fell to the floor. When she opened them, she found not a fish pinning her to the ground, but a beautiful young woman with long flowing red hair. Hello, said the mermaid. Hello, replied the queen, utterly mystified, but smiling nonetheless. The guards looked to the queen, trying to judge whether she needed protecting or not, but the queen had only eyes for the mermaid. The guards looked at each other, then at the crowd. The crowd seemed just as confused as they were. The guards in the crowd all looked at the magical mystery gang. The dragon stepped forward to address them. I now declare the island of Multivos a free place for all. Whether you be mortal, magical, mythical, or somewhere in between, this island is for everyone. A huge cheer erupted around the Grand Central Hall, threatening to topple the delicate little structure. The Centaur Twins helped the Queen and the Mermaid to their feet, and they all grouped together, with the Lion, the Unicorn, and all of the Magical Mystery Gang. So, what now? asked the King. I don't think I fancy being King anymore, at least for a bit. Do you think the island of Multivos will manage without King? I'm sure we'll find the way, said the Lion with a smile. And what about me? asked the Queen. I don't think I fancy being Queen either, not for a while at least. She looked across at the Mermaid who smiled back at her. It seems that one of the things you need to learn is the art of self-love, my love, said the griffin with kindness. You and the king brought the island together, but the people were not happy, and neither were you, because you carried something inside that made you dislike yourself so much. And if you hold that inside you, it's almost impossible to truly help others to be happy. How did you know? The queen asked. We all knew, replied the dragon. When you've been through it yourself, it's easy to see it in other people. Queen began to cry, but she was smiling too. So wh where should I go? What should I do? She asked. Maybe you could have a change of scene, suggested the unicorn. There's an island not far away that I've heard of. I think it would do you some good to spend some time there. What's it called? The queen said. M maybe I've heard of it. It's called the Island of Lesbos, replied the unicorn. Oh, yes, the queen said, with a knowing smile she'd never let herself show. I know that island. I can take you there. I know the way, said the mermaid with a grin. And what about you, Hippocampus? said the lion to the Hippocampus. Will you stay here with us in Multivos? The Hippocampus looked at them all with a smile. Thank you, they said, but I must go too. What's happened here today has shown me what I need to bring to my own people, certain conversations I need to have. But I will always come back to the island of Multivos. It is a happy place, I can see that now. The magical mystery gang and the king accompanied the queen, the mermaid, and the Hippocampus down to the sea and waved them off. The king turned back towards the land and spied a figure running towards them. It was the small man from the Grand Central Hall. Your Highness, Your Highness, he was shouting. Oh, I was told you would be here. I, I came to warn you about the magical mystery gang. They say they want to take over the island of Multivos. Oh, that, the king said, laughing. There's no need to worry about that anymore. He smiled at the magical mystery gang. What took you so long anyway? The small man paused at the king's side, panting heavily. I forgot the papers for the upcoming project you were due to sign off on today. It's top of your list. Here. He passed the king the papers he'd mentioned, and the king read through them. Ah, yes, the king said, remembering what they were about. There's this desolate, dry patch on the outskirts of the city of Duos, he explained to the magical mystery gang. We were going to turn them into luxury flats. But I'm not king anymore, so I guess it's not up to me anymore. What do you think, magical mystery gang? Do any of you have any ideas? The unicorn stepped forward. I don't have any ideas myself, but I know someone who might. And so, thanks to the Desert Rose, this desert patch became the lake in the new parkland, which marked the island's first anniversary of being a truly united place. Everyone was welcome to come and bathe and swim, and it came to be a very happy, free place.
The lion and the unicorn stood on the hill in the new parkland, looking out over the lake and beyond to the city of Duos. That was quite the story, the lion said to the unicorn. I didn't think I'd ever see the island of Multivost again after our fight. I certainly didn't think I'd see it united and happy and free. Yep, not bad for a horse with an ice cream cone in its head and an old lion, was it, eh? The unicorn replied, laughing. Very good, said the lion, chuckling. Would you like some plum cake? I made it fresh this morning. Oh, yes, please, said the unicorn. The lion and the unicorn stood on the hill, gazing out across the island of Multivos and out to sea, happy to be by each other's side. And that is the end of the fairy tale of the lion and the unicorn. This podcast is sponsored via Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash drodge, that's D-R-O-D-G-E, you can support the podcast and get involved in this evolving community around all that is, was, and maybe gender. See you next week, Drodgeheads. And for now, much love and all the gender. Drodgecast is a production by Brush Voices for Drodge. A label without labels. Will someone please get me out of this plastic bag?